Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I'm Joe Mason, your host as always. Excited to be joined, as always, once again, by Caitlin Christofferson of Grand Slam Social and the Equine Education Coordinator for Keep Anise Montpleasure. Ladies, welcome to Episode 6. Thanks, Joe, and happy opening day at Keeneland. (laughs) Even though when this comes out, it won't be opening day anymore. Yes, but it will still be Keeneland's, it'll be Keeneland's spring meet, which for anybody in horse racing knows how exciting and wonderful and just such a sign of spring um, in the bluegrass that is, and something that we didn't have in 2020. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And a lot of exciting props, too. It's not just Keeneland. You have the Wood Memorial from Aqueduct and a stake-studded card from there, and, of course, the St. Anita Derby card. So the preps are in full swing. For the the Kentucky Derby. Preps for the Kentucky Derby. Preps for the Kentucky Derby, absolutely. And then the Arkansas Derby, yet another prep for the Kentucky Derby, is next Saturday. So, so much going on. The Derby is just under a month away. So, a lot of fun stuff going on in the world of thoroughbred racing. No kidding. Man, let's bring it on. Let's bring on. who's Who do we have as our guest for today, guys? We have Shannon Mackold of Woodford Thoroughbreds. Woodford Thoroughbreds is owned by... Mr. John Sykes out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, their their main farm is in Ocala, Florida. I've had the pleasure of being a guest there several times, and it's absolutely beautiful. And their team, they are just consummate professionals and horsemen. And I feel like we're going to learn a lot from Shannon today. We certainly will. Without further ado, here is Shannon. On this edition of Amplify Horse Racing Podcast, we are so pleased to welcome Shannon Mackeltz of Woodford Thoroughbreds to join us to talk about her path into the horse racing industry and her role now as Director of Marketing and Client Relations, and especially to talk a bit about the two-year-old sales that are um, take, that take place in Ocala and in Florida in the spring. Um, they just had a fabulous March sale with Woodford where they sold several high-priced horses to some great connections. And I am pleased to say um, I've actually been to Woodford's farm in, in Florida, and it is just a premier operation, and Shannon does an amazing job running it along with her team. So we are so excited to learn more from her. Yeah, hi. I can't wait to tell you more about it. (laughs) Well, how about we start from the very beginning? Because I brought up your bio on the Woodford Thoroughbreds website. And you didn't grow up in a horse family, but um, you ended up moving to Lexington. So tell us how you first learned about the thoroughbred industry and what really attracted you to it. Yeah. So I, you know, I was literally that little girl who just simply loved horses. Um, you know, I was really obsessed by them. So, um, just by happenstance, we moved to Lexington and when I got to Lexington, um, fate intervened in my life. I always say, because on the same 
street that we moved into, um, Ben and Jan Taylor moved in two houses down. Um, ben Taylor from one of the four brothers of Taylor Made Farm and Sales Agency. Of course, um, that really didn't mean anything to me at that moment in time when I was like eight years old, but I grew up going over to their house and then babysitting their children and then going to the farm. And that's how I was introduced to what is the thoroughbred industry. Um, and then basically, you know, I, I didn't really know that that was going to be my career path. It, to be real honest, I, I never intended it to be. Um, I graduated from the University of Kentucky with a uh, political science minor and a broadcast journalism major. And, um, and that's really what I thought my career path was going to be. But I had I didn't have a job yet. And it was September of after the following May of, of me graduating from college. And um, I was putting out resumes and, and tapes and stuff like that to, to try to get a position. But um, the tailors had said, well, why don't you come work the yearling sale for us showing yearlings? And um, I said, sure, I'll do that. I've, I've never done it. I don't really know what that means, but I'll show up and I'll do that. Um, and that's really honestly where the um, the addiction, I think, started because I got there and I could not get enough of the atmosphere of the sale. Like just the the horses and and the activity and then the people because they are all such characters and they are this group of people that all commingle at this one moment in time and their their backgrounds and are so very very different but you know the common theme for everybody is this thoroughbred and so um I left there and I was like I want so badly to be a part of this industry and then kind of to make a, a little bit of a long story short, um, I, I approached TaylorMade um, and they said, yeah, you know what? We actually have an opening in the office and um, we, you know, if, if you're interested, we'd like to have you. So that's kind of how I, I started um, and, and I got into the, the industry. That was my, my first way in. Wow, it's it's a small world for one thing, that's for sure, especially when you're in a place like Lexington to you know, it's it's coincidental on one hand that you guys ended up moving in close to the, the Taylors, but um to then be able to make that connection and have, you know, kind of fall into the sales like that and have it feel so natural is just amazing. I feel like kind of how a lot of us end up sort of just landing into it and you fall in love with it and you just don't want to do anything else. And yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if they hadn't been my neighbor, I'm a hundred percent certain that this is not the direction that my career path and life path would have gone. And at the same time, like I'm so thankful because I get to lead like this really interesting life where I'm really passionate about what I do. And I love the way that you described the atmosphere of the sales, too, is, I don't know, have any of you guys read the book, um, Horse Trader? No? About, about Robert Sangster, and it's just, it's amazing. It, it matches the way that it really describes. Also, for listeners out there, it's a very good book. It's a, it's a fascinating book about the history of, 
of thoroughbred sales basically in the US and you know the rise and fall of the market at different points and um it it's such a cool environment and I think, you know, I saw this video on the Woodford Thoroughbred website where you talk about the Woodford team and all of the different components that go into making, you know, the sales possible. And I guess from when you started at at TaylorMade, um, talk about how you sort of worked your way up and how you learned about the different components that go into to making the sales possible and then, you know, what you guys do at at Woodford Thoroughbred as well in your own team. Sure. So, um, I, I ended up working for TaylorMade for almost nine years. Um, but after, after that point in time, I I went on to work for West Point Thoroughbreds and, and that gave me a different perspective because at West Point, um, you know, you're the buyer. So, I got to see into the the brain and the thought process of what the buyer is looking for when they go to the sale. And very specifically, you know, there's typical, typically things that people are looking for. They're looking for a cult versus a filly or a certain family or turf versus dirt. And so just to kind of think about like, you know, what is when you're, it, it brings you back to when you're selling a horse, who is your market? And that's what I think about a lot of the time now because of this whole process. Um, so when I got to Woodford, that really stuck with me is, is who is our market? So when we breed a horse or when we bring a horse to market, who are the people that you know would intentionally be looking for this horse? Is it somebody who's thinking about potentially a stallion prospect down the line? Are they only thinking about a a racehorse? Um, Are they thinking specifically turf, dirt? Are they thinking, you know, is this a filly that I could maybe hold on to and retain as a broodmare later in life? Is this a family like I would like to go ahead and buy into now? Because if this horse does well, it's going to be so much more valuable down the line, but I can get in right now. Um, So it just you know, it, it, both of those things developed where I am today, as far as just thinking and considering these things. Um, and that's my role and responsibility at Woodford is to do the marketing and kind of the pre-sales for our horses and make sure that, um, that the people who would typically be interested in a certain horse know that we have that horse and why it fits what that they typically purchase. So, you know, I'm just a really small part of, of what our team does um, because, you know, we have uh, we have John Gleason who prepares, he picks out our the two-year-olds that Woodford owns that go to the two-year-old and training sale. Um, and then, you know, he prepares them and he also does the preparation, the sales prep for the yearling. So he's just so hands-on um, in developing these young horses. And then, of course, we have Beth Bear, who has been selling under her own banner for over 20 years. She has so many connections. She's well-respected as a horsewoman herself. Um, and so, you know, you put this team together and we all have our own roles, responsibilities and functions. And and we work really, really well as a team because we kind of know, you know, what our lane is, so to speak, um, and complement each other, I think. 
Right. Yeah. And it's important to have a team where everybody's on the same page and all uh, going for the same cause. And uh, Shannon, we've been talking so much about the exciting atmosphere of the sales and all that goes with it. So I have to ask, being a part of the sales for so long, what is it like for you to see a horse that you see in the ring later on succeed in graded stakes or as a sire later in their career? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's super exciting um, and gratifying, obviously, um, when they go on and do well. Um, you know, you you develop you develop each sale just about like there's probably like, you know, one horse that I just simply fall in love with. I mean, I've been even after all this time, like they're the horses reach out to you and speak to you in some sense. And I always have one that I just love. Um, and so when the, that particular horse goes on and does well, and not to say that everyone that I fall in love with goes on and does well, but when they do, it's really gratifying to see, but really the, the gratification doesn't come like from them necessarily doing well. The gratification really comes from, seeing like how a good horse can change somebody's life and watching that process as well because we work with animals and and with the thoroughbreds but this is also really a people business and the two are hand in hand so when you see somebody who gets to have an experience of a lifetime or, or get to enjoy the thrill of a win and, and traveling around the country um you know, there's just really something special known that they're making lifetime memories. So one horse, you saying that, Shannon, in particular, that comes to mind um, would be Midnight Bizou, who Woodford bred and sold to uh, the Bloom family and Allen Racing and who went on to be one of the most successful race mares that we've seen in recent history. Can you tell us a little bit about her and how that was yeah isn't that crazy <laughs> i mean um all of it like it was such it, it, and she's exactly who i was referring to and also um discreet lover who I'll, I'll talk about in a minute um you know she was a filly that woodford bred out of a really nice race mare that woodford also bred so um Midnight Bisu is out of Diva Delight and Woodford um, bred Diva Delight as well. So this is kind of a family that we've known and um, and and developed over the years. So um, but Midnight Bisu wasn't, you know, she, if any if if we had all known Midnight Bisu was going to be Midnight Bisu, we would have bought her um, at in Keeneland of September of the year that she went through as a yearling. But Instead, she got bought back. Um, and this is a really important thing to keep in mind. You know, her hit number was like in the 4,000s. She wasn't in book one or book two of Keeneland. Her hit number was in the 4,000s. Anybody, literally, you and I could have gone and bought her at, at that point in time. But she just wasn't at that moment what the market was looking for. And so we knew that we at least liked the way she moved. She had a really great, you know, that swing and sway back and forth movement to her um, that typically translates really well into the two-year-old sale horses. Took her, broke her, got her ready for the two-year-old sale. And kind of the same thing, you know, she wasn't flashy, 
um, I, she worked 10 and one, I believe. And um, Jeff Bloom saw something in her and, and was able to purchase her for 80,000, which goes back to, it's one of the great lessons I think about these two-year-old sales. The horse does not have to have the fastest breeze of the day. And the horse does not have to bring a million dollars to be a really good horse. Um, you know, at 80,000, you know, looking back on what she's done, I mean, that's just incredible that that's where she started from. But, you know, that's one of the intangibles of, of the horse industry is that, um, you know, anybody can buy a really good horse and, and it's, you can't necessarily see it by just looking at them. And they always talk about, you know, it's, it's not the horse in the race, it's the race in the horse. And that's what she had. She had that heart and that grit and that mentality um, that you just couldn't necessarily define on the end of a shank. So um, she's just one of those really special stories because then she went on to be, you know, a multiple grade one winner. She took them all over the country. She took the family all over the country. Think about like all of the important experiences they got to have together, sharing in this massive joy. Um, and then, you know, she, she took them all around the world really. And, and just, you know, the memories and the stories and the photos that this family, the Bloom family and the Allens are going to be able to have and look back on, um, for future years. Like that's just something that's life changing. Um, and, and just real quick, also like discreet lover, we, we, we sold discreet lover as a two-year-old as well. We bred them, sold them as a two-year-old. Uh, grade one winner and um, and and basically, you know, and, and took his owner slash trainer to the Breeders' Cup. And and the, the trainer had been training for like 25, 30 years and he'd never been to Churchill Downs. But the horse took him um, to and his family to um, to Churchill and, and just looking up at the spires and thinking about where he was like his interview was just so emotional and, and, and kind of raw. And, um, and it, it's those stories that really stick with me personally. Absolutely. And those, I mean, aren't those the stories that we live for and dream about in this industry? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would like for that stuff to happen to me. I dream about that happening to me. Do Can I pick out that horse that's <laughs> life changing, right? Wow. Absolutely. And Shannon, so th that segues, I think, into something that I was really excited to have you talk about as well, which are the two-year-old sales. Um, you know, we've seen it time and again. I mean, it happened with American Pharaoh. He RNA'd as a yearling and obviously went on to do what he did. And I know that the two-year-old sales, um, and I've had the honor of being with Woodford at the two-year-old sales and seeing how you prep these horses and how well they're cared for and, and turned out. Can you talk um, a little bit about why you think the two-year-old sales are, are such an asset to the industry? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll preface this conversation a little bit by saying, like, there's a lot of people who don't like the two year old sales. And I get it. Like, I understand it. Um, the, the history hasn't necessarily been um, the, the best. But I think, you know, from my experience and my perspective of working with Woodford, this has really changed a lot. Um, 
you know, we, everything that we do is geared towards getting the horse ready. So, you know, there's getting the horse ready for a two-year-old sale is like getting a horse ready for the derby to some extent, because you're really specifically putting a date on the calendar and saying you have to be ready by that date. And you have to be in top form at that date and you have to perform to the best of your ability at, at those few seconds. So this is a really hard thing, obviously, to accomplish. Um, and so I would say also that, um, you know, it, it's one of the things that, for example, John Gleason is great at um, because if a horse starts to show that they're that they're not going to make that date he's so good about saying look the horse just simply needs time he's he's growing rapidly they're maturing at this very moment and guess what there's another sale there's going to be you know another sale that we can bring that horse to and there's zero reason to force or rush a horse to get a horse through the two-year-old in training sale. And that is our mindset at Woodford. Um, you know, our biggest compliment is that a horse comes out of our sale and then goes on to have a race career. Our greatest goal isn't the, the minute and a half that they're in the sales ring for the two-year-old sales. So we take a lot of pride in the horses coming out of our two-year-old sale program being sound, being healthy, and being horses that go on and have a career. And, you know, and, and we're not the only ones. So, I mean, there's a lot of really good horses that have come out of the two-year-old in training sales. Um, you know, there's just, you know, just a couple of years ago, like the Breeders' Cup was dominated. Storm the Court won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Structor won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Matoli won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Those are all grade one horses that came out of a two-year-old in training sale. And so I think that people really need to start to look at those sales as being a viable option to purchase top-class horses. And I want to jump in. One of the words for our, for our listeners that we've been throwing around, we use the word RNA. And so that stands for Reserve Not Achieved. And so, Shannon, would you would you explain what a reserve is? And then also, if you could just explain in detail, how is a two-year-old in training sale different uh, from any other horse sale? What exactly takes place at the sale? What is the breeze? Uh, so just break those down a little bit for us. Okay. So an, R, like, um, an RNA is basically that the horse didn't achieve a minimum price that the consigner and owner have um, put on the horse. So when we go when we go through the sales ring, we have put a number that we have given to the sales company, Keeneland OBS Phasic Tipton, um, and said, um, you know, this horse, this particular horse, when it goes through the ring, it has to bring a minimum of a specific dollar amount. So we're basically saying we are protecting the value of this horse up until this point. And once the bidding goes after that point, the horse is, is really for sale at that moment. Um, and whoever ends up with the highest bid owns the horse. If that doesn't happen, if the reserve is not reached, then 
the, the, the owner still, the original owner still owns the horse. It comes back. And really what it does is it just, it's a protection um, of value for the horse. So the owner says basically like, I value the horse at this amount and I'm willing to sell at anything over. And if it doesn't reach that, then I'm happy to take it home and, um, and keep it and, and potentially race it myself. Um, the two-year-old sales are different, be, are so unique because basically you get to test drive this horse, so to speak. At the yearling sale, you're going off of a few different things. You're going off of confirmation, pedigree, and walk because that's the most you can ask of the horses as a yearling because they're young horses. At the two-year-old sale, we say that you get to test drive them. They are, they go out on the track, they have a certain distance that they're going to run um, between and they're going to be timed during that running. That time will be posted so that everybody um, knows how fast the horse ran. And it's uh, an, and when they post it, obviously, through the sales company, then everybody agrees that that is the time that the horse ran in. So you get to see the function of the horse while it's running, you get to see, um, you know, is it how it moves at a faster pace? Um, and you get to see how it covers distance. Does it have a big stride, a, a shorter stride? Um, and then you, you just kind of get a better feeling of what's this horse going to do in an actual horse race when they're running? Well, this is what they look like running. And so it gives you kind of just a better feeling of of what they potentially will do as racehorses. Those were both exceptional definitions. Thank you so much for explaining that to our, our listeners. And so for, you know, for those, for those of you listening, there are lots of different sales out there. So Shannon has mentioned yearling sales, horses that are a year old. You have some horses where, or some sales, excuse me, where, um, you're going to have a mix of breeding stock. You might have weanlings. You might have horses of racing age. There are some sales that that have just horses of racing age, so horses that might already have been in training. They might have raced, and they're going to be sold. And then there are breeding stock sales, so sales where people are going and they're looking for, for broodmares to add to their broodmare bands. So the, the sales really span far and wide from every age of horse or, you know, whatever you're looking for, there's, you know, there's a wide variety of sales for that. And so now you guys can see how, how the two-year-old sales really fit into that when you're going out and you're looking for a potential racehorse. And, you know, just to go off of that and the sales in general, Shannon, I know a lot of young people in the industry really look to the sales and sales preparation as a way to gain experience. And so what what would be a good starting point that you would recommend for someone who's interested in being involved in the sales, either from a hands-on perspective or maybe, you know, the administrative side? How would you recommend they get started in that? That's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that I would say is, is, is 
go try go try to work a sale if you if at all possible and it's really hard um to i i can see how it'd be really intimidating to try to get into um that world just because you know people don't want to hire you when they've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in horse flesh um, on the sales grounds and, and you know are you going to let go of their horse um, if it's you know if it starts acting up um, and then it get injured so the people who are entrusted with showing the horses on the sales grounds are typically really good horsemen right like they are people who have been doing it for a long time so it is really kind of hard to get your foot in the door but I would say if you have horse experience to if you are used to being around horses if, if you have had some sort of horse experience um, it's also a great opportunity because it's one of the ways that you can get your foot in the door is by working the sales and then you know, as as people get more comfortable with you let you continue to to do more and, and work with more expensive horses but that's really the best introduction to kind of how this whole thing works, because you see you meet the breeders, you meet the sellers, you meet the buyers. All those influences come together in that one spot and just making an impression, you know, are, you know, being reliable, being friendly, being, um, you know, easily or easy to approach. Like those are all things that are really pretty simple things. Um, but you know, they stand out when you're at the horse sale. So I would definitely say for somebody who wants to get involved to try to get in in some way working the sale. Um, I've had people come and say, well, you know, I want to be a bloodstock agent. So can I follow um, your buying team around? And, um, you know, at, at that point, it's it's really hard. The buying team is going from early in the morning to late in the afternoon, and they don't have the ability to teach along the way so that's just really not a good way to to get your first foot in the door so i go back to just saying i try to work the sale try to show horses be a card person um, just anything to do to kind of start to um, be recognized in the industry as, as somebody who is interested and searching and trying to learn more I think, you know, being thrown into the action is, you know, whether you're observing people or working for a consignment is just as you touched on so important for young people to understand the whole bigger picture. And I remember the first sale that I ever worked, I had shown uh, showmanship in 4-H, showmanship at Halter. And so that's, you know, you've got your horse in hand completing a pattern but it's a completely different way of showing a horse in hand than the way horses are shown at sales. And even that was such a learning curve for me to understand, you know, this is how to show a horse. This is how to set up a horse properly for someone to inspect it or even to understand how books are put together. We've mentioned different books and how, you know, uh, books in the sale are like larger sales. I'm going to give an example, like the Keeneland September sale where they have over 4,000 horses are going to be split into different books. So your book one is kind of recognizes your cream of the crop, exceptional pedigree, exceptional physical type horses with amazing confirmation. 
and then the, the books continue on from there. And so even learning all of those components can be a lot. And, and you learn that from actually being at the sales and working at the sales. Yeah, like it's it is such a learning curve when you get on the sales grounds. Um, and, and just like you said, just every part of it, how you show a thoroughbred, um, how we expect to, to walk the thoroughbred for for someone explaining like the show rings and, and where you need to go and how you need to stand and the the pace that we have to go at. It, it, it's an incredible environment um, and it's something that, you know, you just really need to experience to fully understand. That was one of the things that, was one of the things that got me hooked as well. Like my, I think even before I went to the races, I went to the Keeneland September sale and the energy and the horses and the people it was just such an amazing experience, but I can see how, and I mean, I've experienced as well, how it's definitely intimidating uh, for people coming onto the sale or into a sale for the first time, never having been in that type of environment. It's almost like being on the floor of the stock exchange, except you have really expensive horses walking around. That's a good analogy. No, I'm going to ask, um, Shannon, so what would what do you see uh, the future of the sport being like? What's something that you're passionate about um, in continuing to grow the sport and you know preserving it for future generations? Yeah, so a, a few things I think are on the horizon. Um, I think that horse racing has been really insulated to its detriment. Um, you know, if you go to some other, if you go to other countries like Australia or Great Britain or Ireland, it is a part of their culture. Um, and there's, there's racing on and people follow racing. And a lot of that has to do with um, the partnerships that are put together. So like, even like, you know, just a lot of horses are in, in partnerships between friends, et cetera, and partnerships have grown exponentially in the U.S. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, for example, like my racehorse is doing that I think is changing the landscape very quickly, honestly, about how that you can get into horse racing um, is by going ahead and doing kind of the difficult process of working with the, the securities um, and exchange licensing group to offer much smaller, um, affordable percentages of horses. And I think this is a really great way to get anybody involved. People who love animals, who enjoy competition, who love you know, there's so many different ways to come at it. And it's it's a great way to open up the sport and show people all of the wonderful things, as well as, um, you know, you're reducing your risk so much. So I just see it as being a vehicle to get people into horse racing, get them interested, get them educated. And I think that's going to change the perception of, of horse racing. You know, there's some other things that are happening as well. 
Um, there is the um, Horse Racing Integrity Act that is going through Congress um, that was passed. There's, you know, there's a, a lawsuit now, but I think we see what direction we're going in. People um, want to see a protection of the horse and rightfully so. So I, I think there's, you know, a, a change in kind of how people perceive all of this and it's going to drive the bus for everybody else in in ways to behave and perform um, that is all for the care and the concern of the thoroughbred moving forward. Um, what I also see is that what we've seen because of COVID um, this past year is that people are a lot more comfortable buying horses online and you see that not just in in horses but this is something that has changed culturally um you know people buy houses they're buying cars those are really major expensive purchases that they're making without actually seeing something in person and with their own eyes and that change is happening in the thoroughbred industry as well as internet buying has um has was forced to happen and i don't think we're going to see that go away and that doesn't mean that people won't still maintain involvement in being on the sales grounds, but I just think it, it's going to open up um, to people so much more the ability to participate and the ability to to make decisions and purchases from anywhere in the world. Yeah, certain, certainly some exciting stuff going on, including my racehorse with Authentic recently winning the Derby. That provided a lot of exposure for non-casual race goers and of course the horse racing integrity act coming up in just a couple of months and shannon before we let you go what are your goals for the future to uh to rule the world no yeah (laughs) that's great (laughs) um that's a joke (laughs) um you know, I think like to to just really to to do a few things. I mean, obviously, um, my my professional goal is to 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 promote Woodford Thoroughbreds um, as much and as widely as I possibly can. Um, you know, I'm so invested in Woodford emotionally, and um, you know, just the the whole entire process for me um, is something that I'm really passionate about and um, fully a hundred percent invested in. And I just think that, um, you know, I just want everybody else to know, you know, how we do things and what we're doing and, um, and, and to, you know, to, to get on our bus, so to speak, um, join us. Right. Um, and, and, and be able to, educate and promote, uh, you know, this sport and this industry to others as well. Um, and then, you know, just on, on a, a personal level, um, to, to, you know, enjoy these opportunities that I have and to, to raise my children. That's really it. Shannon, thank you so much for, for being on with us today. You are so incredibly well-spoken and have done an amazing job of teaching us of, you know, not only what Woodford Thoroughbreds does, but, you know, the the nitty-gritty details of what goes into the sales. So 
thank you so, so much from, from all of us for being involved. And, you know, this might be a small step towards education, but uh, still a step nonetheless to bring more people in. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, that was an amazing session for us to all sit through because I think, you know, even in all of us in our respective jobs in different states, it, it can be so good and so refreshing to have an educational lesson like that on you know, a reminder of the passion that goes into having a, a consignment and breeding these horses and being at the sales and picking horses and, you know, thinking about the intricacies of the sales and what we didn't understand when we all got into it. And Shannon has just done an amazing job of explaining some of those details. Yes, Shannon, I have had the honor of learning from her and working alongside her for several years now. And she is just such a wonderful asset to the industry. Not only is she just a kind, great person, but she truly cares about the horses. She truly cares about educating others on the thoroughbred industry. And it's just, it's people like her that, um, that make it such a pleasure to, to be a part of what we do. No, exactly. Yeah. And for me, not being necessarily from the horse side of the industry, more so the media side, I learned a ton because obviously not going to many sales with COVID and everything else going on. And prior to that, not really being exposed to that, I learned a lot too about the sales. So she's an incredible asset to the sport, no doubt. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for another great episode. And I hope that you have a beautiful rest of your day. Yes, and happy opening day. Well, I guess it won't be opening day at Keeneland, but happy happy Keeneland spring meet. And uh, one thing I also wanted to remind our listeners is to leave reviews, um, whether you're listening on Apple or Anchor, leave reviews, and that will help us create all the more um, interesting and exciting podcasts for you in the future. For Caitlin Christofferson and Anise Montplaisir, I'm Joe Mason. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast.